What a joyous morning it is, this first day of the week. It is that day set aside in the Scriptures in which we are blessed to be able to assemble and to come together in the name of the God of heaven, to do so with the attitude and desire to worship Him in spirit and in truth. It is the case today that we're blessed with a host of visitors that have come our way, and we're so thankful for every one of you and hope that you can come back at, at your soonest opportunity to be with us again. In addition, our membership at Pippin, we're thankful that you're here today as well. We just concluded our gospel meeting, and isn't it grand to be able to say how much support we received, not only from our own congregation. Your attendance was so very loyal and filled with allegiance, and many surrounding congregations blessed us so royally with their presence as well. Let us certainly keep their meetings in, in our mind as we think about praying for them and supporting them in person, if at all we can. Today, as we come together for this aspect and portion of our worship, may we also say today, of course, is Mother's Day. And that is that day which has no doubt brought many of you as visitors with us. And again, we're thankful that you're here. But the Bible has so much to say about mothers. In fact, from early in Genesis all the way into the end, nearly in Revelation, we seemingly find so many records of mothers who cross the biblical stage and from them, as characters, we often are able to appreciate so many valuable insights. Today, I would invite you to think with me at least for a few moments about one of the mothers of the Old Testament. Many perhaps quickly cross our mind. We can think of Eve, the very first mother. She was the mother of all living, Genesis 3 verse 20. And furthermore, we rapidly appreciate ladies such as Sarah and Rebecca. Other ladies like Hannah and Bathsheba. Others even in the New Testament like Mary and even Lois and Eunice. All of them set before you and me some time-tested biblical lessons of truth and valor. Today, Ruth will be the lady of interest to you and me for the, for the major part of the lesson at least. When you probably think about Ruth in the Old Testament you immediately bring to mind recollected thoughts of the nature of this person and the kind of individual that she was. As you come to the bottom of that slide, the thought of the lesson text is the one that was read in our hearing just a moment ago. Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. We'll revisit that in just a moment. When we contemplate the nature of the blessedness of motherhood and the nature of what the Bible has to say about it, I'd like to invite you to Think with me about the motherhood of Ruth. Go ahead and turn to the book of Ruth if you aren't there already. And let's at least spend a few minutes this morning reflecting on her. As always, it seems entirely right to at least use the first portion of the lesson to revisit the saga, the record of this little book of Ruth, because in that record we find the very matters that you and I should use to help us. Not only appreciate the thought of being a mother, but the many things in this book that state what a successful mother might well be. I'd in fact tantalize you with just a moment by asking, so what defines a successful mother? How would you identify one? As you think about your mother, or perhaps as I consider my own, as you reflect on the person in your life who occupies the role of a mother, what characteristics come to mind as you consider her success? Well, Ruth will have much to say about that. As you and I close that slide, why don't we set up the scene like this one? The little book of Ruth only consists of four chapters. 
It takes place in the Middle Eastern part of the world, as so many of the Bible books do. And here we find an instance in which there is a man named Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. They had two boys. One's name was Malin and the other Kalian. They lived initially in this location, of course, of Bethlehem, Judah. The very place where you and I would recognize many, many years later the Christ Himself would be born. Bethlehem. As you consider the scene, though, at this moment in time, there was a famine in the land. Times were difficult and hard, and there was a great deal of challenge surrounding that very attribute. Needless to say, in the interest of providing for his family, Elimelech made that decision, and the family moved somewhat east of where they then were. They proceeded to the land of Moab. I'd like to ask you for a moment just to note the names and what they mean. The word Elimelech literally means God is my king. Isn't that a great name? Doesn't it identify in this man a considerable nature of where he had a desire to be the proper servant of God? Notice the word Naomi. That literally means my delight. How many of us husbands today could say things like that about our wives? My delight. But maybe in light of those things, notice the two boys. Their names seemingly carried with it a far different turn and tone. Malin means sick. And as you can tell, Kylian means pining. Maybe those boys weren't the healthiest even from the time of their birth. And maybe the very nature of their character was such that they were born under rather adverse circumstances. Suffice it to say, as the whole family came then to live in this area known as Moab, the following things took place. Things began to take a rather noteworthy turn. Elimelech died. And not only that, the two boys, at least in time, did too. But we have a another matter to take up first. As they moved to this place, the sons married. Malin married a Moabite girl named Ruth. And Kylie and married a Moabite woman named Orpah. We find now this considerable situation in which, with Elimelech dead, soon thereafter you'll notice within ten years the two sons died too, both Malin and Kylian. At this point, what remains? We've got Naomi, we've got Ruth and Orpah, three women. As they themselves were living in this place, you appreciate very easily that it was not the homeland of Naomi. She was again an Israelite. And furthermore, we appreciate these two Moabite women, Orpah and Ruth, as they all now lived in this particular place. Ruth made a, or rather, Naomi made this decision. The famine had come to an end. She decided to go back to her home place in so doing. Those two daughters-in-law now had a decision to make. Will they return with her? Will they remain loyal and faithful and full of allegiance to her? Or will they remain behind? There's much in chapter 1 that goes into that consideration. I would ask you to notice they begin the journey. All three headed back to that land of Bethlehem. However... We notice that Naomi very quickly enters into conversation with them and admonishes them to remain behind. For she says, you're Moabite ladies and you're Moabite women. I have nothing to offer you there. Under that leveret law of the Old Testament, you and I remember that if there had been other children, they would have been given to these two. But Naomi didn't have any more children. 
And she said, it'll be too many years before I can rear up another one. You'll notice then these statements. Orpah chose to stay behind in Moab. She in fact bade her mother-in-law well and she chose to stay behind. But Ruth had a different viewpoint. It is that that serves as the lesson text. I'd ask you to notice it again. In verses 16 and 17, these were Ruth's words to her mother-in-law, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. And where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. We find in those words a remarkable statement of loyalty on the part of Ruth to her mother-in-law. She determined with great dedication that she would in fact remain and be with her even in that distant place of Bethlehem. She even noticed, professed, Your God, the God of your people shall become my own and where you die, I'll die. There's where I want to be buried. And furthermore, she by virtue of vow said, May the Lord do so to me. May He bring me death if anything but death part you and me. Many times I've heard those words utilized at weddings where a husband and wife make profession one to another from that point forward about the nature of the great deal of loyalty expressed toward each other. This time it was Ruth toward her mother-in-law. As you and I close that slide, you'll notice they then proceeded on their journey and they came to the land of Bethlehem. When they arrived, it was the barley harvest. And obviously these two women needed by some means to provide for themselves. And our saga leads us to notice Ruth at once, even without delay, she proceeded to glean in fields and make preparation for that provision of both her and Naomi. You'll notice the text says she happened to glean in the fields of a man named Boaz. You and I notice that that careful usage of the word happen seems to have divine providence behind it for there will be much more about Boaz and Ruth later for right now you notice it proceeds like this Boaz as he came to his fields he espied this woman who previously he had not seen gleaning in his fields and he inquired from his servants who is that lady she captured his attention even already not only in that capturing we appreciate that Boaz even himself made observation about her integrity, the nature of the kind of woman she was, and the nature of the way she went about her work business. With those thoughts behind us, we now noticed Boaz brings to her a direct word. He enters into conversation with her. He encourages her not to glean in any other field but his. You come and glean here and here only. Furthermore, as that chapter goes on, he has some more benefits to share with her. He even tells his reapers, you leave behind some of the grain for her. You purposefully leave it so that she will be able to pick it up and to have it as a part of that which she will have acquired for her and her family. When Boaz made all those statements, you'll notice... At the end of the day, she had accumulated a fair amount of barley as a result of her gleaning and the winnowing thereof. In fact, the text says, a whole ephah of barley. So you'll notice roughly five gallons worth. 
At that point, she returns and tells Naomi what happened. She shares the information of where she had gleaned and the success that she had enjoyed. And she also makes mention of that gentleman named Boaz. When you and I come to this slide, we notice that Naomi informed her that this gentleman Boaz was in fact a kinsman of hers. This brings us to remember the Old Testament in the sense that that near kinsman of whom I had spoken earlier, under that law, one had the right to the possessions of as well as the ladies of. And you would raise up seed to the one that had died. In this instance, though, there was a nearer kinsman. You and I, as we're about to study all of that, we appreciate this. Naomi gave Ruth some great advice. She told her to go to the winnowing floor where, in fact, Boaz would be winnowing the barley that very night. Ruth decided to do this. As she came, she thus informed Boaz that she would be excited and, in fact, eager for him to retrieve that which was the role of a kinsman. It's on that occasion that Boaz informed her that he wasn't the nearest kinsman. There is another man nearer than I, and he will have first right not only to Elimelech's possessions and family, including Ruth. However, you'll notice that night that Boaz said the next day he would take care of it at the city gate, and he would inform himself as to what the nearer kinsman would desire. That brings us to the next statements on that slide. When Boaz went, to that near kinsman, he in fact presented to him the situation. That near kinsman initially felt like he wanted to redeem all because he didn't know women were involved. He thought it was just the land and the possessions. But when Boaz informed him, included Ruth, the near kinsman forfeited his right and allowed Boaz to have it. At that point, Boaz at once proceeded to take care of those matters, redeeming not only Elimelech's possessions, but Ruth as well. That brings us to these observations. Notice the last few statements on that slide, please. This brings us to the closing statements of chapter 4. You'll notice that Boaz married Ruth. This union was formed in which a tremendous blessing not only for them but for so many others came to pass. In particular, you'll notice, a son was born to them. Ruth conceived and bore a little boy, a little boy named Obed. You'll appreciate that that little boy was in fact the father of a man named Jesse and Jesse was the father of a man named David. As you and I study in the New Testament, we find that there's only four women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Women who were particularly highlighted and emphasized to the point that they occupied a place in the very lineage of our Lord. And Ruth is one of them. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David. As you reflect upon those last statements, the last paragraph of this book, highlights the tremendous benefit and blessing to Naomi that not only Ruth was, but that little boy Obed as well. Maybe it's in light of those things I would ask you now to do this with me. If this is the record of the book of Ruth, what lessons might there be to help you and I appreciate mothers and to think about them as the book of Ruth describes them? Why don't we use these passages and present it like this? 
earlier when we highlighted. So what identifies the tremendous successfulness attached to the way that the Bible presents motherhood? Well, first of all, I might call to your attention a description that Boaz made of Ruth. Now, admittedly, she was already to be appreciated as the woman whom he was very fond of. But look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 11, please. And now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. At this point, though Boaz didn't know her all that long, it was already clearly obvious that Ruth, this woman who now had made it clear to him she wanted to be redeemed by him, that she herself was a virtuous woman. May I submit to you that had one of the things that was capturing of Boaz's attention. What does it mean to be a virtuous woman? May I submit the definition is this. That word in the original language carries the idea of strength. And valor. It has behind it the notion of godliness and firmness. Boaz was already clearly observant of these characteristics of Ruth and it greatly impressed him. May I submit as you think about those things with me this morning, virtuousness in a woman is so often highlighted and emphasized in the Word of God, isn't it? I would call to your attention, Proverbs 12, verse number 4, that in regard to a virtuous woman, is it not there said that she is a crown to her husband? A virtuous woman is a great blessing to any man in terms especially of the influence she can have, but notice there particularly to her husband. She is there to encourage, to strength, to support, to help, and in fact to provide that which he cannot find any other way. She's a crown to her husband. You and I recognize that the thought of a crown is that which identifies glory. It identifies a remarkable position. No wonder in Proverbs chapter 31, we find another remembrance. Verse number 10 says it like this. Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Though jewels are sometimes very precious... A virtuous woman is so far much greater. You'll notice also in Proverbs 31, we find descriptions recalling for you and for me just how special a virtuous woman is. Today, when you and I think about the success of a woman as she serves as a mother, one of the first and most vital statements to be made is her virtuosity, the virtuousness characteristic of her. Let's develop that like this. Proverbs chapter 31, verse number 30, as it describes that virtuous woman, describes a lady who has given her heart in service to God, and that serves as the bedrock upon which everything else rests. She is first and foremost a servant of the very God that made her. That virtuousness, notice as it takes us back to this text, Boaz could already see in Ruth that which would ultimately lead to a great deal of virtuosity. Let's ask it this way for just a moment. Remember, Ruth was the mother of Obed, and she was the grandmother of Jesse, and the great-grandmother of David. As you think about the pattern of generations, we don't know a great deal about those in the middle, but what about David? Could it well be that the very pattern of faithfulness exemplified in the life of Ruth ultimately would find itself manifested 
in the special remarks we sometimes find in David. David had a contrite heart, Psalm 51.7. David himself is described as a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13 verse 14. And later in the New Testament, even the Apostle Paul affirmed in Acts 13.22 that David was a man after God's own heart. Was that in some way prompted by the choices and decisions of his great-grandmother? Perhaps. But at least it could be said that it rested on a foundation that began with her as well as proceeded through the very line and lineage of God's promises to that family. That idea of virtuosity helps you and me see today that godliness is an exceedingly valuable commodity, isn't it? So often you and I appreciate that in a world that has so much demand for it, but yet it's so absent. We see individuals, including women, who choose to live in ungodly ways, and yet we find special examples such as people, including Ruth. That virtuosity reminds us that being the very best mother one can be clearly includes being first and foremost a servant of God. For that will impact the way that that woman behaves. It will impact the way she interacts with her husband and her children. It will impact the way she speaks and the clothing she wears. Every bit of it will fall under that consideration. How special is it then to consider a woman who is a mother but of course is a godly woman. Many of us have been influenced so remarkably. And perhaps only eternity will tell what influence godly mothers have had. I submit to you that as you close that slide, we've already highlighted for Matthew 1 the genealogy of Jesus, including Ruth, that she had a part to play in the very line that would bring into the world the very Christ child. However, her virtuosity is not the only thing this book lifts high about her. Let's try something else. What else does this book mention? Point number two is this one. The remarkable character of her loyalty. You and I have already noticed in reading it twice this morning, that special set of statements in Ruth 1 verses 16 and 17. Entreat me. That word entreat means to beg. She told her mother-in-law, don't beg me to leave you. For I'm going to be with you even until death. Your God's going to be mine. Where you live, I'm going to live. Your people will be mine as well. And you'll notice she even professed even to the very nature of death itself. I'd submit to you that consider again, Ruth was a Moabite woman. She at that point professed, I'm leaving my country, I'm leaving my family, I'm leaving all the religion I've ever known, and I'm going with you. That is a remarkable statement of loyalty. And that is an incredible statement of profession of great love and allegiance to her mother-in-law and to all that Naomi stood for. Ruth, from that point forward, came then to be admitted and welcomed into the people of Israel. You'll notice on this slide, you and I can notice today there are times when you and I appreciate especially a mother and the fierce loyalty that she often exhibits. She will stand in defense of her husband and her children at all cost, for she loves them above anything else that she has. The fierce loyalty of a mother we saw embedded in the character of Ruth even before she married Boaz. 
She was committed to Naomi. She was committed to that way which she had seen in the life of perhaps Mala to Kylie and his well was a very rich and godly influence from Naomi herself. She made that series of professions and that loyalty leads us to notice again the situation of today. It's often true, isn't it, that we find today individuals, and that even includes women, who are not as loyal. They sometimes give their children away. Sometimes even in our land, under the very law we've got, they kill them. Hard to imagine. And we find in the day of Ruth a woman committed with fierce loyalty to that which was the way of rightness and truth. May we submit that any woman that would desire to be a godly mother will not only, of course, be virtuous, but she'll be loyal in all ways to the demands and the responsibilities God has given her. She finds, in fact, some of the greatest treasures of her life fulfilling her God-given obligations for what an impact she has upon that husband and those children. In fact, we've already appreciated that when Ruth did become that mother of Obed, what a tremendous blessing that baby was, not only to her, but what an influence she had on what that baby would become. This matter of loyalty helps us appreciate so far two attributes. The bottom of that slide, perhaps a little statement about another one, and I mention this one only because Boaz mentioned it so often. He on two occasions had highlighted just how impressed he was with the work ethic of Ruth. I would ask you to think of it like this. In Ruth 2, verse number 2, again, no sooner had they gotten back to the city of Bethlehem that Ruth makes the suggestion. It wasn't Naomi that made it. Ruth made the initial suggestion to go and glean. She was a woman of provision and a woman who didn't mind work. I say that again because sometimes you and I re recollect and recall the labor and effort we saw in our mothers, the work with hours upon end, carrying out sometimes the thankless jobs. May we each be thankful for what they did and thankful for what they still do. In light of all those things, think about that attribute Boaz saw in her. He saw a woman who was so committed even to the attribute of work that she was happy to jump in and take care of those duties and responsibilities. And today, as we give thought and consideration to the same, I suppose you and I could develop it like this. You and I know how hard it is in terms of effort to raise a proper family. Ongoing activities, the constant stress and pulling from all kinds of various sources and the tugging at one's time and emphases, and yet a woman of commitment who will take care of that duty and the work as properly provided is certainly a great blessing and honor. Any person that would desire to be then a godly woman not only would be a virtuous one and a person of loyalty, but also a person who recognizes at the outset that work that's going to be involved. Raising children is not an easy task. The devil makes sure of that. So many influences, so many matters that attempt to capture their attention and take them down the wrong pathway. And yet a mother in love will not easily permit it so. She will spend countless hours striving to make sure with determination and loyalty that those children are directed along the pathway that God would find pleasing. 
a godly woman. No wonder her price is far above rubies. Proverbs 31.10. You'll notice in light of all those things, we couldn't help but make note of 3 John verse 4. That little one chapter New Testament book where even the writer John highlighted the fact of how sweet it is to consider the believing faithfulness of children. In fact, the lady mentioned on that occasion found nothing more special and precious than the faithful godliness of her children. I'm sure many a godly woman feels exactly the same way. That faithfulness and that virtuosity leads us to one final thing. Could it also not be said that when you and I reflect upon Ruth, it must be highlighted that she herself had a fair amount of adversity. Remember, her husband, first husband died. Malin, that man whom she had married, he died. Apparently, as you and I think about that death, she also appreciated the death of not only her father-in-law, but her brother-in-law as well. She came to appreciate the fact of moving far away from home. Ruth knew how to deal with those challenges and adversities that came in life. We know today, of course, that a godly woman will also appreciate the fact that adversity will come. And when it does, when it does, there must be a faith upon which one can rely. Apparently, Ruth saw something in Naomi. She professed an allegiance that would never lead to their parting. These thoughts we might develop like this. May I submit to you again, a woman needs a strong faith if she is to be a godly mother. Proverbs, or rather Psalm 55 verse 22 so carefully and powerfully reminds us about the integrity that goes with a faith that's strong like that. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. An absolute promise of the Old Testament Scriptures that thought is echoed in many ways in the sentiment of 1 Peter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. When Jesus and other inspired individuals of the Word of God put you and me in light of promises and rewards and statements of the Scriptures, you and I might ask the following. Since faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17, it stands to reason that a woman of faith will be so developed by giving her attention to the Word of God, developing its attributes in her life, directing it in terms of what she instills within her children. Many of us today have been the blessed beneficiaries of a godly mother, a godly woman. Many in this audience will one day be mothers. May you be a godly one. May you, like Ruth, direct your family so that for generations to come they can look to you and call you blessed. May all of us who are husbands encourage our wives to be the godly ladies and women they would want to be and that which would allow them to fulfill the greatest calling of God for them. Surely in light of all these things, the motherhood of Ruth has challenged all of us in ways that we're ready to close this lesson. As we close it, very brief comments like this. We've reflected on the book of Ruth primarily, using it as a springboard to consider the blessing of a godly mother. In so doing, we've looked carefully at these attributes of Ruth, a woman who is virtuous, a woman who is loyal, a woman who had a work ethic that was indeed an impressive thing to behold, and finally, a woman who by her faith 
could in fact take care of even matters of adversity. She not only endured them, but she emerged triumphant through them. What a great blessing that is to have that kind of faith. May you and I strive to have it. If today you're not a person of faith like that, why not make it so by allowing Christ to develop it in you? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. If today there might be someone in the audience that's never become a Christian, you've never rendered additional obedience to that gospel call of invitation, why not today, this 10th day of May, 2015, your spiritual birthday it could be, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the only begotten Son of God and then humbly and simply be baptized for the remission of your sins. In so doing, Acts twenty-two sixteen quickly tells you that upon that statement, your sins are washed away. At that point, living faithfully till death, what an influence for good you can be. If you have begun that walk with the Master, but you haven't been faithful and true to Him, Maybe you need to come back today in a public way as you ask for prayers of individuals. We'd be honored to do that. We find in Acts chapter 8 the biblical example wherein that took place and we'd be honored to pray for you too if that's the need of your life. If we could be of help to you today, we'd be delighted to do that. We'd only invite you to let us know at once how we can do so while together we stand and while we sing.